This talk by Joan Sutherland, Vernal Equinox Poems and Noble Questions, was given at Cerro Gordo Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on March 19, 2009. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. Last week, um, I was suggesting that maybe for the 10 days or so between then and the Vernal Equinox this weekend, we could uh, take some time to remember that maybe appearances to the contrary. This way is um, not fundamentally a self-improvement project, but it's really a way of awakening so that we can more wholly and truly meet the world and participate in the great awakening of the world altogether. So the next morning, I was reading a, a poem by Mary Oliver that um, seemed to, to be a sort of uh, benediction on that on that thought. And um, in part of it, it's from a poem called "To Begin with the Sweet Grass." And in part of it, she says, "What I loved in the beginning, I think, was mostly myself. Never mind that I had to, since nobody else had to." That was many years ago. Since then, I have gone out from my confinements through with difficulty. I mean the ones that thought to rule my heart. I cast them out. I put them on the mush pile. They will be nourishment somehow. Everything is nourishment somehow or another. And I have become the child of the clouds and of hope. I have become the friend of the enemy, whoever that is. I have become older and... Cherishing what I have learned, I have become younger. And what do I risk to tell you this, which is all I know? Love yourself, then forget it, then love the world. So love yourself, then forget it, then love the world. It's our custom um, at times like the equinoxes and solstices to, to read some poems, so I thought I would read a few beginning with that Mary Oliver piece, and then come back at the end to say uh, a few more words about what I was um, speaking about last week, which has to do with this great legacy of our way, which is a 1,200-year-long profound intimacy with awakening, and um, to ground ourselves in that and to remember that that is our heritage. So some poems first. Every uh, every spring I have to read Pablo Neruda's poems, spring. The bird has come to give the light. From each trill of his from each trill of his water is born. And between water and light that unroll the air, now the spring is inaugurated. Now the seed knows that it has grown. The root is portrayed in the corolla. At last, the eyelids of the pollen unclose, much to many artists. <laughs> All this was done by a simple bird from a green branch. So, um, for those of you in the council, and that's why the spring council is called Bird Return, because it's the bird that brings back spring. Um, another poem I always read is. Um, Yura Amchai is the place where we are right. 
From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the ruined place where the house once stood. And then um, to go along with that, a poem by Rumi. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field, Omnichir. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field, Omnichir. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. This is from Dylan Thomas's Spring Hill, and it's also something I always read in the spring. Um, can you do the accent? And then to awake, and the farm like a wanderer went with the dew. Come back, the cock on his shoulder, it was all. Shining, it was Adam and the maiden. The sky gathered again, and the sun grew round that very day. So it must have been after the birth, and the simple light in the first spinning place, the spellbound horses walking warm, out of the winning green stable, onto the fields of praise. <laughs> This is a poem by a 19th century Vietnamese wandering pilgrim, a woman who just sort of walked all around the country with a backpack full of books and I think a bottle of wine, if I remember right. Her name was um, Ho Shuan Huang, and this is called Spring Watching Pavilion. A gentle spring, a gentle spring evening arrives airily, unclouded by worldly dust. Three times the bell tolls, echoes like a wave. We see heaven upside down in sad puddles. Love's vast sea cannot be emptied, and springs of grace flow easily everywhere. Where is Nirvana? Nirvana is here, nine times out of ten. (laughs) 
Um, last week I read a translation of mine of um, a poem by Li Qingzhao, uh, who, was, uh, who was writing at the same time that the great Kaan collections were being made in, in, um, in China and was uh, related to the circle of people who were doing that, that great Kaan work. So since some of you said that you enjoyed that, I wanted to bring in another poem of hers, a spring poem. Springs come to Longgate. Already a few blossoms of the plum tree have opened, and red petals lie scattered on the young grass. Jade white clouds tumble, become a dragon, and disappear. Just like this morning's dream, though I was startled and broke open the first fold of spring. The shadow of flowers leans heavily on my gate, and the pale moon's light spreads out against the curtain in the yellow dusk. Three times in two years I've borne the sorrow as you journeyed east. Now that you return, my heart is unrivaled as the blossom of spring. By the road to the contagious hospital, under the surge of the blue mottled clouds driven from the northeast, a cold wind. Beyond, the waste of broad, muddy fields, brown with dried weeds, standing and fallen patches of standing water, the scattering of tall trees, all along the road, the reddish, purplish, forked, upstanding, twiggy stuff of bushes and small trees with dead brown leaves under them, leafless vines. Lifeless in appearance, sluggish, dazed spring approaches. They enter the new world naked, cold, uncertain of all, save that they enter. All about them, the cold, familiar wind. Now the grass, tomorrow the stiff curl of wild carrot leaf. One by one, objects are defined. It quickens, clarity, outline of leaf. But now the stark dignity of entrance. Still, the profound change has come upon them. Rooted, they grip down and begin to awaken. This is uh, Arriving Again and Again Without Noticing by Linda Gregg. I remember all the different kinds of years, angry or brokenhearted or afraid. I remember feeling like that, walking up the mountain along the dirt path to my broken house on the island. And long years of waiting in Massachusetts, the winter walking and hot summer walking. I finally fell in love with all of it. (coughs) I finally fell in love with all of it, dirt, night, rock, and far views. It's strange that my heart is as full now as my desire was then. This is um, on a sphere. She's a contemporary Polish poet who I adore. And um, for those of you who come to retreats, the, the piece that we say at the end of the night, um, always I carry light and silence inside of me is her as well. And this is another of hers called I Am Filled With Love. I am filled with love as a great tree with the wind 
as a sponge with the ocean, as a great life with suffering, as time with death. Um, and then, lastly, this is um, Naomi Shihab Nye, who's another contemporary poet I really recommend to you if you, you know her. Yeah. She's what? She's in Zenodome, Texas. Huh. Oh. So this is called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness is the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread, only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. that seems like the only possible answer. There's something we have to do, which is um, confront the question that the Buddha confronted after he had been practicing harsh austerities and almost killed himself. And when he was thinking, hmm, maybe this isn't the way, the question that rose up inside of him as if from somewhere else was, are you afraid of this happiness? And that's a tremendously important question for us to ask. He decided that he wasn't, but it occurred to him that that question is so frightening. Are you afraid of this happiness? Because it puts us in touch with a happiness that is not based on desire. It's a happiness that's not dependent on the relative state of the satisfactions of our desires, but something else entirely. And that that kind of happiness can be destabilizing, frightening. So what I want to suggest is that there's a way to look at that question. It's linked with um, another question we really turn away from a lot, I think which is, what do I want? For people who've taken up a spiritual path, what do I want is such an embarrassing sort of question. We're not supposed to ask that. We can ask, what is the great matter? What is life and death? What is the meaning of this? What am I meant to do? You know, right? Those are, those are good, 
knowable questions. But what do I want? That's sort of weird and slimy and So, but then what happens is not that what do I want goes away, because it doesn't. But we, um, we delegate it to the lesser gods in the city of ourselves, or um, to what we call the out-of-control employee, the ego. And so we get responses to the question of um, what do I want that are the responses that seem you know, reasonable to the lesser gods and to the out-of-control employee. So we get um, sort of impulses you know, or habits or um, cravings or addictions or um, strange and funny, weird ways of trying to work that out or denial or, you know, I'm not going to go there, I don't have those feelings, all of that. So we haven't really solved the problem, we've actually made the problem worse by not taking it seriously. So I want to suggest that, that um, as good, deep, noble, spiritual people, the thing is not to turn our backs on that question, but to actually take it more seriously than we do. If we take that up with our whole selves, if we apply our whole heart-minds to that question, if we wrench it from the hands of the lesser gods and the out-of-control employee, then um, something else can happen. We can take it down very deep. We can take that question down. What do I want? And in so doing, we can find that place within ourselves, outside ourselves, wherever it's located in the ether, where what do I want and what does the world want meet, where they touch. And then what do I want becomes instantly the noblest of questions. Because to answer what do I want is to answer what does the world want. So we bring up from time to time Dungshan's question in um, the five ranks where he asks us, for whom do you bathe and make yourself beautiful? And this is one way of looking at that. We bathe and make ourselves beautiful for that encounter in the place where what we want meets what the world wants. So what we can do is prepare ourselves. What we can do is take that question on honestly. What we can do is ask, what is my inmost request? What is it I want in that deep place below desire, not dependent on desire, that place that exists no matter what the surface is doing, no matter what's going on in the circumstances of our lives. In that place, if I go there beautiful, if I go there holding my question honorably, what do I meet and what can I discover? So I want to suggest that that be part of your vernal equinox practice for another couple of days to um, work really hard (laughs) at joy and ease. (laughs) But see what see what you notice. See what happens when you begin to hold the question like that. Find that place where what you want meets what the world wants and sit there and see what that's like. Okay? Happy spring. Mm-hmm.
we thought the Yemen line had died out. Turns out not. Turns out that there, it's been a continuous line all the way through, and there's still Yemen Chan people today. So I'm just so excited to wait and see and hear what, what they have to say. Yeah. And what are the lines of contact like? Like, how often is that? It's pretty one on one. It's people like um, Bill Porter, Red Pine, whose work I also really recommend to you. He's a fantastic translator. And he just sort of goes over, you know, and finds, finds these people somehow, goes and sits down, spends a couple of days with them, talks to them, writes it all down. It's very kind of ad hoc. Uh-huh. In a nice way, yeah. And then, and there still are, you know, there's some of the big temples are still left, and you know, that that's a sort of hybrid where there's some tradition. You can really see how how the tradition was a thousand years ago, and it's sort of gotten taken over a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, if, as of right now, if that's interesting to you. There was a, a 19th and early 20th century Chan master called Lu Shun, who was really had it, was really it, and completely contemporary, and wrote a lot. And you can read his um, biography, his autobiography, actually, and get a flavor for you know what it's been like fairly recently there that we just didn't know was happening. Thank you. Yeah. So there's one translation. I, there's a, I come across this like a big double volume whole thing, and then there's a small excerpted version of it. And either one is good. It's L U H S U N or L U X U N, depending on which organization. <laughs> Ask me later. <laughs> These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.